Hi, everyone. I'm Neil Scott, host of Recovery Coast to Coast. Following 15 years of nightly broadcast, we have now upgraded to a national podcast. And now it's available to anyone at any time. No more 10 to midnight. It is available when you are ready to listen. It features information about addiction, vetted resources for individuals, families, and friends, and amazing stories of everyday recovery. Guests include clinicians, authors, researchers, newsmakers, and recovering celebrities. In addition, everyday people who have found their way into the awesome community of recovery with at least one year of continuous recovery. This edition of Recovery Coast to Coast National Podcast, America's Voice for Recovery, is on the air. Program number 1501. Recovery Coast to Coast is supported by Sundown M Ranch, one of the top treatment centers in America, having successfully treated well over 200,000 adolescents, adults, and families for the past 50-plus years. Now, if you're looking for medically-based treatment, treatment that works, consider Sundown M Ranch. Their web address is sundown.org. It's where recovery, real recovery, begins. I get asked all the time, you know, what is the best place to send someone who needs treatment for addiction? I simply tell them, check first with Sundown M Ranch to see if it's a fit for you or your loved one. If it's not, they will refer you to another treatment center. I've referred numerous individuals and family members to Sundown because I believe in them. I've seen firsthand the reality of recovery. Now, one of the things that I look for in a treatment center is, number one, how long the staff has been together. You will find this at Sundown, a staff that has been together for a long time. This speaks volumes about staff that love what they do and continue doing it because they believe in the outcomes. The patient is the reason they are there. Next, I want to be certain that a treatment center uses best practices and that they're a member of the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, NAATP, and that they subscribe to their code of ethics. I also want to be sure that a treatment center is a state-accredited facility and that they take most major insurance. And I want to be sure that they are affordable. And lastly, I want to be sure that the treatment program has an excellent and comprehensive family program. Sundown M Ranch, they check all the boxes. So if you or someone you know is in need of addiction treatment, give Sundown M a call. I'll give you their number. It's 1-800-326-7444. They'll be more than happy to guide you along the path to wellness for you or the person that you're concerned about. All calls 100% confidential. There's no hard sell, just sincere empathy, compassion, and years of experience. Can they guarantee that the addiction will be cured? <laughs> of course not. And any treatment program that promises that is unethical. Addiction is a chronic disease, much like diabetes or heart disease. It can be successfully managed. And frankly, there is no cure for addiction, but there is a promise of continuous recovery. The bright side of addiction is recovery, and recovery begins at Sundown M Ranch. They are a not-for-profit organization that has been successfully treating individuals and family members and adolescents as well since back in 1968, well over 50 years. It's one of the oldest and it's definitely one of the best addiction treatment programs. Sundown M Ranch, again, the website, sundown.org. You owe it to yourself to visit their website at sundown.org. They're located in central Washington State, just outside of Yakima, on 30 acres of land that they own. It's a recovery retreat that is located at the mouth of the beautiful Yakima River. And now about our podcast I've had the privilege and opportunity to interview numerous guests over the past 15 years, including treatment professionals, newsmakers, specialists, best-selling authors, everyday people, and celebrities who are in long-term recovery, including Bonnie Raitt, Buzz Aldrin, John Larroquette, Judy Collins, Ben Vereen, Pat O'Brien, the late Betty Ford, and countless others. On the national podcast, Recovery Coast to Coast, I'll be sharing highlights from those interviews as well as topical interviews from the prevention, treatment, and recovery communities. For those of you who are unfamiliar with me, I've spent decades in the field of addiction and recovery, 
having run the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence in Santa Barbara, California. In addition, I was co-founder of Alcoholism, the National Magazine. I was the editor of Alcoholism and Addiction Magazine, the Alcoholism Report, and I also ran the Foundation for Alcoholism Communications. I've also had a dual career in sports broadcasting, covering the Seattle Mariners, Seahawks, Sounders, and the Washington Huskies. I did a series of radio interviews with numerous baseball players, past and present, who have found recovery from addiction, including New York Met Daryl Strawberry, Dodger All-Star Maury Wills, Rockies and Pirates manager Clint Hurdle, Angels All-Star Josh Hamilton, former Dodger great Don Newcomb, and many others. These interviews are permanently housed in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. I'll be sharing some of those on future editions of the podcast as well. I've also done remote broadcasts at some of the best treatment programs in America, including New Directions for Women in Southern California, Sundown Treatment Center for Adolescents in Texas, the Smithers Treatment Program in New York City, Healing Springs Treatment Center just outside of San Antonio, and, of course, Sundown M Ranch outside of Yakima, Washington. Plus, we've done radio shows from some of the best and most popular national conferences featuring the top addiction authorities in America. Conferences include the NADAC Conference. NADAC is the National Association of Addiction Professionals, the Texas Association of Addiction Professionals, Oregon Behavioral Health, the Northwest Gambling Addiction Conference, the North Carolina Association of Addiction Professionals and their annual conference, and national recovery conferences sponsored by Faces and Voices of Recovery. As we upgrade our nightly radio program to a national addiction podcast, I and my various co-hosts will bring you the best of the best, inspiring and uplifting stories of recovery, as well as the latest factual information from the field of treatment. Let's kick off the inaugural edition of Recovery Coast to Coast, the national podcast, with an insightful interview with sports agent Lee Steinberg. Now, Lee was the inspiration for that hit movie, Jerry Maguire. He represented such major sports stars as Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Ryan Leaf, and the number one pick in the NFL draft an amazing eight times, plus 60 first-round draft picks. He had the golden touch. He also was an alcoholic who had it all, and then he lost it all. Now he's on the road to recovery, getting it all back again, and then some. He is now in long-term recovery, overflowing with gratitude. Join me now for Recovery Coast to Coast. Uh, we've got Lee Steinberg, legendary sports agent, author of The Agent, My 40-Year Career Making Deals and Changing the Game. It's available at independent bookstores and, of course, at Amazon. He has had it all. He has lost it all. And now with four years of recovery, he is gaining it all back. Lee, welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast. My pleasure to be with you. Great to have you here. My co-host is Mike Hickey. He is the author of Counterclockwise and a book of poetry as well. He teaches at South Seattle Community College. Nice to have you here, Mike, as well. Thank you, Neil. Take us back and the end, or in this case, the beginning. What happened, Lee? After I had a pretty charmed 35-year career, uh, 60 first-round draft picks, first pick in the draft eight times in football, mm -hmm. um, big baseball, basketball practice, did sports movies, everything else, and all predicated on role modeling with athletes uh, retracing their roots. You represented the top athletes in the game, in all games. And we tried to do it the right way, which is to have them retrace their roots and go back to the high school community and set up a high school scholarship fund at the collegiate level. Troy Aikman and Eric Karros endowing full scholarships to UCLA. And then at the pro level, I asked each athlete to find a cause in their life they'd like to tackle. So for work done, it's single mothers. He's mm -hmm. moved 131 of them into the first home they'll ever own by making a down payment and having Home Depot outfitted. So it, it or Lennox Lewis cutting a PSA that said real men don't hit women, which could do more to trigger attitudes towards domestic violence. I remember that. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was a, a charmed life. In the 
in the 2000s, a series of reverses occurred in my personal life. Your dad died? My father died a long, lingering mm. death from cancer, and he was in some ways the rock in my life. Then our two kids were diagnosed with uh, incurable eye disease. Mm -hmm. Then we had a house which flooded the house of our dreams in El Nino, and we had to knock it to the ground. And ultimately, I got divorced. And I felt like Gulliver lying on the beach, tethered down with Lilliputian sticking forks in me, powerless. And I'd always been fine if I could get, deal with the problem. But here, I couldn't protect my father. I couldn't protect my boys. I couldn't hold my marriage together. I couldn't even put a roof over the head. Eventually, I just wanted to check out, not leave the earth, but just get away from that. And I turned to alcohol. Was that the first time you really started using it? I mean, obviously not, but I mean, first time you got in trouble with it? What happens in recovery, what has happened to me, is that my memory gets clearer and clearer as to when things mm -hmm. really began. So you tell, memory is not a photograph of actual events. It's the stories we tell ourselves and then come to believe them after a period of time. So... We came I, to believe. <laughs> so I started out, there's no alcohol in my family growing up. I had my first drink in college. And they called me One Beer Steinberg because I didn't have much tolerance. And, I'd, and if I started to feel myself getting buzzed, I backed off. And that went on for a long time. Now, our world, the world of sports and entertainment, is the Disneyland of drinking. It's not just that there's alcohol. It's everywhere. You walk into a, a Super Bowl party, and there are scantily clad women up front handing you a drink as you walk into yeah, the I party. Know. And then 20 zillion ice sculptures with the finest uh, uh, alcohol and all the rest of it. So, so gradually, I, I drank more. But when I got divorced, I, for the first time, moved into a apartment alone, which I had lived in group living. I'd lived with my family for years. I, and I found out a very dangerous thing, that it was actually legal uh, in California to consume alcohol while there was daylight out. <laughs> you see, I I'd never really did that before. Yeah. And but I was crestfallen. Now I'm on my own in 2007, eight, nine, and I'm I'm starting to miss days uh, at work. I didn't go in impaired, but I started to miss days, and I spiraled down. Uh, I had a DUI. I had a drunken public. You had uh, a couple of DUIs, didn't you? I had one earlier, but this in this 2007, mm -hmm. I had one, and then 2008. It's always traumatizing to be in those situations, but more traumatizing was the fact that it became national. Internet, people read about it in Australia or New Zealand, and the worst is thinking my kids had to go to school and face all that because there was a night when I got the DUI where I hit a fire hydrant and it became um, uh, tropical in Newport Beach uh, as, as the water was everywhere, uh, I actually had to buy it. So, you know, I now own a fire hydrant. <laughs> so the point is that, so I thought I'd relax that night and watch some sports, you know, get away from it. So I turned to the first local station and there's my picture during sports. And I, so then I turned to the next one. There's my picture. Turn the next one. I thought nuts with this. So I turned to ESPN, and there was my picture with the with mm. the drunk driving. They were out filming the fire hydrant, mm. the local news that I hit. So I spiraled down. I I got to the point by March of 2010, where I had closed my office. I was sitting in my parents' house, and my best idea was to keep drinking vodka. And now, when I ultimately got to the end, it, this was not like a shot of vodka. Mm -hmm. I had that big 1,750-milliliter uh, jug, you know, walking around with me. And I, I re had a moment of clarity, an epiphany, 
my dad had two core values. One was to treasure relationships, especially family, and the second was to try to make a meaningful difference in the world, help people who couldn't help themselves. And I realized I wasn't doing either. I wasn't being a good parent, and I certainly wasn't making an Mm. impact. So my brother came and took me off to what was supposed to be a 10-day detox at a first step recovery in Orange County, which is indigent rehab. I have the ignominious distinction of not being able to get into indigent rehab because they didn't have a bed. So someone took me to sober living, and when I woke up on March 21st uh, of 2010, I looked at the Los Angeles Times, and it said it was Sunday. And I said, wait a minute, where did Friday and Saturday Mm go? Uh, I had no recollection of them. So I started to work the 12 steps, got a sponsor, went into a unique fellowship, had a lot of support. I was so broken, so devastated that that I needed direction. I needed someone to show, show me the way and started trying to connect with a higher power one day at a time. Mm. Lee Steinberg is joining us, legendary sports agent, author of The Agent, My 40-Year Career Making Deals and Changing the Game. My co-host tonight is Mike Hickey. Mike? Well, Mr. Steinberg, it's a, it's a pleasure and honor to meet you. And, and a question that I had for you, you talked about the, um, the 60 first-round picks, and you represented athletes in lots of different sports, but I'm probably best known for football, uh, eight number one, overall number one picks. Most alcoholics don't really need a reason to drink. It's Tuesday, or it's cloudy, or it's winter solstice. But when you sign a big contract, that's a reason for celebration. You know, the people that you represent would want to celebrate. And I would see how it would be easy to fall into that trap of wanting to celebrate with them, something that most little kids, they dream of being in the NFL their whole lives. Could you talk a little bit about that aspect? The reality was that I never took time to celebrate. I went right on to the next transaction. So I didn't sit and ponder accomplishments. I went right on to the next player, to the save the next mm-hmm. team, to to do the next book, to write the next, 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 whatever that was. And there really was not that time for contemplation. So, and I would be careful around athletes. That was their situation. So my drinking started late at night. And to sort of get over the fact I didn't have a truly supportive relationship romantically, and it was it was uneasy. And then it disintegrated when I went to live by myself. Mm. Lee Steinberg joining us in Recovery Coast to Coast. Talk a little bit about sober living. That particular facility how long were you there and and what did you learn as a result of that experience how to make my bed the basics <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I um, it was in Orange California mm-hmm. and there were probably 10 or 12 of us in a couple story house I did have my own bedroom which which I later found out was unusual it was a completely different way of living. They said they were going <laughs> to serve meals, but they didn't. Mm. So I was scrambling around. I had gone through the available cash I had. At one point, I heard a knocking in the middle of the night, and it was the car repossessors. And oh. they hauled my car off. And there were days where I was just hungry. If I had not had generous and supportive friends... I'm not sure what I would have done. My brother paid for me to be in sober living. But I finally sat down and worked the 12 steps. I finally got into the big book. You say finally. You had tried before. I had started about 2000, late 6, early Mm -hmm. 7. And, again, I'd been in a couple rehabs. Um, They didn't work for me. I mastered what the dysfunctional family looks like. I mastered brain chemistry. I I could teach those courses. I was the most dedicated student they ever had. 
I just couldn't stop mm-hmm. drinking. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that worked for me was being broken enough that I could open my heart to the concept of a higher power and get a sponsor and work the steps and not intellectualize about them, not get hung up on the abstraction of organized religion, <laughs> not not get uh, not challenge everything that seemed in, in, inconsistent. And you can intellectualize yourself into staying very, very drunk. So I just followed the next indicated step. To, and we had book studies and, mm-hmm. and went to a series of meetings. They actually took me to what became my home group. And it's a cross between a tattoo parlor, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, <laughs> and the Hells Angels meeting. It seemed like the least likely place for me, but they preached some old-time fundamental recovery principles. Mm-hmm. They made it really simple. Surrender. Find a higher power. Don't drink and go to meetings. Get a sponsor <laughs> who has a sponsor. Work the 12 steps in order. Read the big book. Go to meetings. Get a home group. So, you know, it was uh, with my couple hundred points of IQ, I sort of could assimilate that, and, and it was all I was doing. How long were you there? I was there from March until about December. Mm. Um, and then moved out with us, someone I met there, sober roommates. I've had a, a, the same fellow ever since. Mm-hmm. And whatever I did initially to make sure that, that I stayed sober, I've continued to do. I can't precisely tell you what part of that potpourri of activities is the integral part. I, I, I can't really tell you mm-hmm. what and why. And this time, I didn't even try to explain to other people. Because, you see, when I was relapsing over and over again and then would try to be sober, oh, I've got it this time. This time's different. (laughs) This time I'm going to, and none of it ended up being true. You're not consciously trying to lie. But the point is is that that craving is so strong that that, uh, it undercut rational thinking. I'd sit in front of my apartment and say, well, tonight I'm not going to drink. And then somehow magically my car took itself to the liquor store. It took me back, and against any conscious will or thinking, I had a big bottle of vodka. In, in and, and then there was the concept of, of limitation. See, when it hit my brain, it was like, Wow, caramba, this feels great. Time, <laughs> let's keep this high going for as long as yeah. we can. So the compulsivity that is so great in the business world to achieve more and more and more and to help more and more people can undo one in terms of uh, substance abuse. Lee Steinberg, legendary sports agent, joining us then Recovery Coast to Coast. Mike? Well, one of the founders of AA, uh, Bill W., says uh, that uh, if you take a drunken horse thief and take away the alcohol, you still have a horse thief. And it's really through going through the steps and dealing with things like resentments and making amends and admitting that we're powerless over this thing called alcohol, accepting the fact that there is a higher power, that the, the miracle starts to happen. Neil talks a lot about just how a, a chemical and behavioral addiction is progressive in a negative sense, that recovery is progressive in a positive sense. At what point did you start to feel that miracle happen? It was probably three or four months into the process when I realized I'd gone through a day and had not thought thought about drinking. And I think that if it stayed the way it was in the early months forever, I doubt anybody would get sober. Mm. Uh, because the reality is there, the, you initially get a minor pink cloud because of having the substance out of your system, but then the cravings come back in early recovery, did for me, and I would obsess over how and why, how I was going to get out of staying sober <laughs> so I could go get a drink. And it's not rational 
thought. It has nothing to do with your prefrontal lobe. It's it's mm. ingrained in the amygdala uh, deeply, so that at the end, your brain confuses the need to get a drink with breath, with having to go to the bathroom, with with every other autonomic impulse. So we don't think about, do I have to go to the bathroom? Your, your body tells you. We don't think about, are we hungry? Your body tells you. We don't think about whether or not we'd like to make love. Our body tells us. You know, all those basic functions, so cavemen who were not real swift could, could figure that out. In other words, you put your hand in fire, it hurts. <laughs> so, and what happens is the brain gets so confused and we're so lacking dopamine or ahedonic that it tricks you into feeling like if you don't drink, you will die and or you will not survive. So I needed to get um, past that. And after about three or four months, I stopped thinking about it every day and sort of went into automatic cruise control, did the work, the, sta- the, the work in staying engaged, but... It started to move, and and frankly, it it took some time before my head cleared. Um, It took some time. I'd noticed at the end my handwriting had sort of disintegrated. Luckily for me, I didn't have the shakes or or I saw people seize and all that. It just, it it never got to that point, but it's not for lack of trying. I mean, (laughs) I drank a serious amount. We're going to take a short time out on the national podcast of Recovery Coast to Coast. We will be right back with our special guest, Lee Steinberg, right after this time out. She has always been your baby. But when your daughter got into drugs and alcohol, she turned into a stranger. What do you do? Where do you turn? Contact Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized youth treatment program guides young people back to a life free of drugs and alcohol. All treatment is gender specific and directed by caring certified professionals in a safe environment. You can get your daughter back and get to know her again. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. back on Recovery Coast to Coast, the national podcast. I'm Neil Scott, and in this edition of the podcast, we are going back in time to an interview that Mike Hickey and I did with Lee Steinberg, the super agent, a guy who seriously celebrates long-term recovery. Lee Steinberg joining us, legendary sports agent. He's the author of The Agent, My 40-Year Career Making Deals and Changing the Game. I suggest that you pick up a copy of his book. It's fascinating reading. In the book, he talks very candidly about his recovery from alcoholism. My co-host tonight is Mike Hickey. Mike? Most male, especially male sports fans in this country, could only dream of the life that you've lived. And then once things crashed, I I always like to go back to something from the big book that we are not a glum lot. Are you having fun again in life now? Absolutely. First of all, the whole thing's a blessing. I feel like I've been given a second chance Mm -hmm. and another chance to help people. Now I can hopefully share my experience, strength, and hope with, with others in a way that will give them some hope. I don't characterize where I am in recovery except the number of days I have. I I have no comment on where I am Mm -hmm. or how I'm doing because all those times I did, it didn't work. So this time I took a different tack and just stacked up days. One day at a time. Because, look, here's the thing. Those people in my life that I alienated, we're not interested in having me tell them again, well, this time I got it, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. All they care about is that you're sober. So Show me the recovery. That's yeah. exactly right. The one thing that I could do when I had a child who went, went away from me or friends that went away from me was to stay day by day in the program and and keep stacking up days. What has your family's response been? Well, my kids have been uh, wonderful. I have a daughter who's a freshman at at Michigan State. She was always there and on board. 
Uh, it was rougher for my older son. He, because he, he, he felt like he had to be the man, uh, mm -hmm. sort of preternaturally mature, but he has been fine through it. And my middle son was more troubled, and I went three years without talking to him. Oh. He went three years without talking mm -hmm. to me, but he's come back in my life. And so it's been great that way. I, I come from a big extended family in, in Southern California, so I never feel like I'm alone. And then I've had the help of the fellowship. And so people have been tremendously supportive. The world didn't go away from me. I went away from the world mm. um, to save my life. I used to hear people say, I'm a grateful alcoholic. And I thought, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> right. uh, I'm a grateful cancer sufferer. I finally understand it because my life is moving so fast from deal to deal, from charitable thing to charitable thing. I mean, I was played a central role in saving the San Francisco Giants from moving mm -hmm. to Tampa Bay and the Oakland A's from moving out of town and tried to keep the Rams in Southern California. You know, I was doing sports movies. And I was so active in so many different ways that it didn't leave time for any internal inventory. It didn't leave time to think about what my purpose was uh, uh, on the planet. A human doing versus a human being. Right. Now, again, it wasn't conventional because mm -hmm. we're out there at a shipped a water machine from the Super Bowl party in Miami to Haiti that saved 140,000 mm. people. Um, we just did a, a party where we linked up from New York uh, to troops live in the field in Afghanistan. Um, so... My life was about service, but it wasn't about introspection. It wasn't about reflection. And this gave me a time. I think I would have just worked straight on through. So it, it, having that time to sit down and, and think those things through and to work on whatever the underlying problems were that brought me, because alcohol seems to be the solution. It's, it's not really the underlying <laughs> uh, mm, problem. Mm. And... That was a blessing. Yeah. Let's talk about present day. You talked about the Super Bowl, and you had a Super Bowl party in the last Super Bowl. What about slippery places? You talked about the fact that when you walk into these parties, there's alcohol everywhere. It's being pushed on you. It's being available, all kinds. How do you deal with the slippery places today? By keeping my internal spiritual self and my dedication to the program um, an everyday occurrence. Someone said to me, if you go to a meeting, spend some time reading the big book, spend some time helping another person, suppose that's two hours. Those two hours allow you for the other 22 to be actively immersed in, in life in every other way. It's a good trade-off. Mm -hmm. Specifically at that party, I had people bringing me water regularly i had people bringing me you know diet cokes regularly so the point is that i'm not standing there dry tired vulnerable and it's so internal that um, alcohol will always be there the whole society has rituals that uh, are every day celebrate your company's uh, baseball team, you know, celebrate the, the, your son's soccer thing at a, a place where beer is served. It goes on and on and on. It's toasting. It's the rest of it. That's just not my thing to do. I mean, conceptually, I drank all the alcohol that and more than I was allocated for this lifetime. If that's the only thing I can't do and I can do everything else, um, it's a great trade. Are there temptations today? Are there compulsions? I haven't really felt it, mm -hmm. but you know, I've been pushing for uh, so long to get refunded back, and now it's here, and my life is so busy, um, and I want to see how it all works out. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of curious, you know. It's like 
I certainly gave alcohol enough of a chance to <laughs> to uh, influence my life. You know, how about sobriety? So we got refunded. I'm going to go back and represent athletes. I got a group of people that invested enough mm-hmm. money that I put up a company where I have a number of employees. Our mission is to take the major sports, baseball, basketball, football, the rest, and represent superstars and then do marketing, mm-hmm. teams, leagues, corporations. And did you have to get re- recertified from the Players Association? I did. I had uh, let my certification lapse mm-hmm. back in 2007 when things started to spiral and hadn't renewed it. And so I'm certified in football. I'm certified in basketball. If you get one client in baseball, then you're certified. So we'll go out and do that. And then our business is morphed. So we now get involved in sports theme motion pictures, like what I did with Jerry Maguire mm-hmm. or any given Sunday or for the love of the game. Um, I recently agreed to host a reality show called So You Want to Be a Super Sports Agent. It's just in the process of being sold. It's uh, like the ethical apprentice. Wow. Uh, with sports agents competing with each other. So it's it's all those things. I've been fighting really hard on the concussion issue, which I, mm-hmm. which I believe is an existential threat to football. Um, I have a Sporting Green Alliance where we take sustainable technology and wind, solar, recycling, resurfacing, and water to state arena and practice fields, to drop carbon emissions and energy costs and transform them into educational platforms so fans can see a waterless urinal or solar panel or, and think about how to integrate that in their own lives. It's morphed. I have this book out. I do a podcast. I am negotiating for my own radio show. Um, I don't have time to relapse. Mm, but you do have time for the program. Well, that's the point, is that prevention is so much better <laughs> than, <laughs> than, than uh, suffering. My brain is never going to turn back into being a cucumber. It is pickled at a certain level forever. But having said that, I have a disease which, if one is willing to do the work, can be managed. Lee Steinberg joining us, a legendary sports agent, author of The Agent, My 40-Year Career Making Deals and Changing the Game. How has recovery changed the game for you, Lee? It's um, allowed me to to get energy back, mm. to, to focus on the things I think are important. Um, I, and, and that's a matter of proportionality. Mm. So you see, even sitting in my, in my parents' uh, bedroom with my best idea being more vodka, I knew at a certain level that I wasn't a starving peasant in Darfur, that I didn't have the last name Steinberg in Nazi Germany in the 30s, that I didn't have cancer. I mean, just being born in a democratic country that has a high standard of living and freedom um, that I didn't fight in a war for uh, is is a blessing. So with all that, what excuse did I have mm. not to try to to get back and uh, active and and live and get excited about life? I am eternally optimistic, uh, probably unrealistically. Uh, I always think there'll be a happy ending. I always think that that we can change anything we want to. And that people are <coughs> put in the right circumstances, have infinite resources of goodness and and uh, um, loyalty. So I got that from my father. Um, we're the people who think if there's a big pile of manure, that there must be a, a pony, pony in there somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Neil Scott, the program Recovery Coast to Coast. My co-host is Mike Hickey. Mike. Well, I have to ask, when uh, I found out that we were going to be interviewing you today, I told my wife, and she knows nothing about football or sports, and she says, who's Lee Steinberg? And I said, and I think this is pretty accurate. When you think of sports agents, these are not typically the most ethical people in the world. They're more like car salesmen or snake oil salesmen. And when I think of Lee Steinberg, I think of the gold standard. I think of the word integrity. I think that you are trusted not only by athletes but by general managers, and that's a tough balance. 
And so because of your integrity in the field and now your integrity in recovery, I'm guessing that there's a lot of people who are reaching out to you who have alcohol or addiction issues and saying, Lee, I, I, how do you, what do I do? What's the first step? Can you talk a little bit about maybe some, not mentioning names, but just people who have reached out to you? I've really been flooded with uh, inundated, um, not to use a pejorative word, with, with people all across the country. And it comes in over every form of social media, mm-hmm. and it comes in when I'm speaking and, and out. And um, they're my people. At yeah, a certain level, yeah. those are we are whatever our backgrounds are, whatever our differences in education, employment, uh, ethnic, the rest of it. Um, we're all one because we share this same defect of our brains and our thinking. So <coughs> I try to offer hope. I try to push them towards a twelve-step program because. Um, it's the only thing I know that works and worked for me. So I, I try to get them to, to, depending on what their addiction is, most, mostly mm-hmm. alcohol, but a lot of people combine uh, the two so that uh, uh, those days were long past for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was mm-hmm. student body president of Berkeley in the 60s, so I can't be like Bill Clinton. Yeah, say no more. <laughs> uh, in, in being honest about those days. But the point is, by the time I'd gotten to work with athletes and fatherhood, the, that, that had become using uh, even minor drugs was not where I was at. Um, so you try to help them. Um, what I heard from the podium of this unique fellowship was hope that at the end of the tunnel, no matter how hopeless I felt, there was hope. There was a promise that if you do this work, your life will get better. That doesn't mean that all the wreckage will go away. That doesn't mean nirvana. But Stuff so, happens. Yeah, yes, <laughs> but... but at least you have the capacity mm-hmm. to to uh, start to go up that uh, hill like Sisyphus at times, mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm, you'll mm-hmm. never quite get there. But um, um, but I was standing in the midst of our Super Bowl party, um, thinking, you know, it's how did this happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And being on the road for the last month doing nonstop interviews, people have been incredibly gracious, and they're actually buying this book. Now, see, to me, a book you hold in your hands, turn the pages, and uh, but that's a foreign concept. <laughs> it to, certainly to, is to my, to my kids. So, um, but I'm hoping with the book to to. Make a statement against situational ethics. Mm. So the subtext of all the speeches I give on college campuses is that you can be conventionally successful in this economy and society while retaining values and ethics. Because when people go home and are nice to their kids and cats and dogs and then go out in the workplace and use heinous social Darwin tactics, Mm because after all, the end justifies the means, there's a soul death in that. That bifurcation uh, kills the soul and the spirit and leads to Enron, leads to mm-hmm. Bernie Madoff, leads sure. to Wall Street, leads to uh, companies polluting. It does all those things. Um, and if you can't figure out good communication skills and, and you're not willing to put yourself into the heart and mind of the other person, and see the world the way they see it, it's impossible to craft a win-win uh, solution because everyone justifies their behavior. And the, the concept of confrontation where people think, oh, it's not going to get any worse, yes, it does. That's how World War I started. <laughs> That's how divorces happen. It's, it's uh, so <clears throat> really being a listener, being 
allowing someone else to peel back the layers of the onion so that you get deeper and deeper into finally understanding another person's deepest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams and what their priorities are, that will allow you to navigate life a lot more seamlessly. Lee Steinberg joining us. What is the role of, of spirituality in your recovery? It, um, again, there was a subject I didn't think much about, you know, for a number of years. People told me I was doing spiritual work and had a fundamental belief, but what spirituality means to me is, is just that spirit that interconnects someone sitting in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square. It's a mother getting up and working two jobs because she has three kids. It's that part of our connectedness with with nature and the, and the world around us that guides us to greater and greater uh, peace and greater and greater achievement. It's it's all of that. It's a unifying force in the uh, universe. I mean, if you study quantum physics, it leads you in interesting directions because it you, you, you realize that if you put a the most basic building back block in life, an atom uh, under a microscope, the nucleus episodically moves away. Mm-hmm. So where did it go? <laughs> did it go in the future or the past or another dimension? So understanding that we're all sort of bundles of energy interconnecting with each other is together as a people we're so much stronger so i feel that lee steinberg in the studio my co-host is mike hickey mike well i think one of the most intelligent things i ever heard in recovery was that we can't change the way we think to change the way we live we have to change the way we live to change the way we think your dad taught you from a very young age to make a difference in this world and you did make a difference in this world as a sports agent but now you're making a, a sort of different kind of difference and I can see the similarities, but I'm sure that there are some things, too, that you feel like now you're kind of, you talked about spirituality, now you, you sort of have your higher power on your side, you know? And it, I, just, I just see you kind of radiating a confidence and sort of an aura of positivity that's, I, I have to tell you, it's really, really inspiring. That's really nice of you to say. It's, again, a matter of proportionality, and then it's a really clear understanding of the fact that I've been given a second chance that so many people don't ever recover. They go in, out, and they they die, they go to prison, they have all sorts of things. So some reason spared me, some force spared me, some higher power spoke and said, this is not the way you're supposed to go. So I'm plugged into that energy field. And I think all life's about doing service. You know, have you helped another person? And anyone who's been through uh, recovery knows that the fastest way to help heal yourself is to get out of your own head and start being of service to other people. Well, I was always of service in the role modeling plans. (laughs) My dad had another corollary. Uh, when you're looking for they to fix a problem, this amorphous they, when you're looking for someone to fix this or alleviate that, he'd look at me and he'd say, that they, son, is you. <laughs> and so <laughs> the point is when I saw uh, racism rise up in the wake of uh, Oklahoma City and nascent skidheads uh, push their way into the consciousness I went to the Anti-Defamation League and said, let's train a new generation of leaders who know how to help police departments do intelligence work, go into crisis situations, go into school systems, and promote ethnic tolerance, and we'll give them a year of training. And the program spread to 30 cities, and we cranked out thousands of people to be in the advanced guard against hate. So... Our time is now. Our watch is now, this lifetime, uh, right now. So you can dream the way you'd like the world to be and then set about trying to make that happen. When people contact you who are looking for help, looking for hope, and and they say to you, you know, Lee, I, I, 
I admire you for what you're doing. I've tried a 12-step program. It doesn't work for me. What else can I do? I ultimately think that my experience is that I had to to hit bottom Mm -hmm. before I was really willing to accept a 12-step experience. See, I had soft landings because I could go on a binge. I would come back to an office that protected me. Mm -hmm. I came back to a beautiful house and a beautiful office and and a world that respected me and and all the rest of it. So the point was, with all of that around me, I might never have been able to face the disease I had, acknowledge that I had it, because how could I have this disease? I'm out doing good in the world. I'm making a difference. I'm being positive. I'm helping individual athletes fulfill their dreams. I have three players who are now owners of teams. I've got players that we've created happy lives for. We've raised $800 million for charities across the country, from endangered species to uh, autistic kids, from every imaginable thing. So how could I be flawed this way? And, of course, in denial, you tell yourself you're not. So I think at a certain level, that person's going to have to hit whatever their bottom is that that tears away the whole edifice of denial, that tears away the illusion that, that somehow there's a easier, softer way than the real easier, softer way, which is wor- working one's way through. If there's another way, I don't know it. If... <laughs> And I guarantee you, I went to some of the finest rehab. Of, uh, people had a vested interest in me getting well. Uh, I went to one rehab program that was like $12,000 a day. And it was marvelous. It was wonderfully conceived. I wasn't broken enough. Lee Steinberg, legendary sports agent, joining us. My Kiki has been my co-host. Lee's the author of The Agent, My 40-Year Career Making Deals and Changing the Game. I often say the bright side of addiction, the bright side of alcoholism is recovery. You certainly embody that, Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure, and uh, I wish hope on everyone out there. And hope it is. Mike, thank you for being here. That does it for edition 1501 of the national podcast, Recovery Coast to Coast. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us next time for America's Voice for Recovery, Recovery Coast to Coast, the national podcast. I'm Neil Scott reminding you the bright side of addiction is recovery. Pass it on.